They don't do that at the TLS. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to this very special edition of Backlisted, the podcast that aims to give new life to old books. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound, the website where authors and readers come together to make great books. And I'm Andy Miller. I'm the author of a book called The Year of Reading Dangerously. And we're joined, as ever, on Backlisted by the writer and moral compass, oh, uh, thank Matthew you, Andy. Clayton. You're welcome. Well, it's, it's difficult. You've got to be a moral compass if you've got your family here at Port Elliot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're out of our usual environment today, which is, as you probably know, the kitchen table at Unbound. But we're here in the idyllic, in the idyllic setting of the walled garden at Port Elliot in Cornwall. In the middle of a festival. It's not just, obviously, just us. There is a festival going on, the Port Elliot Festival. Are you, are you all having a nice time at the festival? Yes! Good. Um, so are we. Uh, we're very pleased to be joined today by Jesse Armstrong. Uh, Jesse has, with his partner, Sam Bain, created award-winning series such as Peep Show, Fresh Meat. He co-wrote the film Four Lions. He's written for Veep, the Mitchell, that Mitchell Webb look, Smack the Pony, uh, and his novel Love, Sex and Other Foreign Policy Goals. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> was published in 2015. Very snappy title. Yeah. Very snappy title. And the book, the book that Jesse has chosen to discuss uh, this week is The Crack Up by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And we're going we're gonna to depart from tradition. This is normally the, the point in the proceedings when I look uh, meaningfully at Andy and say, Andy, what have you been reading? But frankly, this week, I don't care what you've been reading, Andy. <laughs> because we're here in front of a very erudite audience who've probably read more than we have anyway. Yeah, how many, how many people here, uh, I, I will accurately report a show of hands, how many people here have read The Crack Up by F. Scott Fitzgerald? Oh, a, All of you. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> So Matthew's wife has, everybody, yeah. but, but no one else seems to have done. Well, you should do, because it is absolutely fantastic. Jesse, thank you so much yeah, for yeah, choosing it's it. Brilliant. Not at all. I didn't sadly write it. I hope nobody's here <laughs> expecting to see F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> He's indisposed. <laughs> Jesse, can you tell us when you first read either The Crack Up or Fitzgerald? When did you discover Fitzgerald? Uh, I read him when I was a young man, yeah, in my twen early 20s. And now I'm just about the age uh, that uh, Fitzgerald died at, 44, and I was rereading The Crack Up, and I just thought it's, um, it's, it's, quite, it's a heartbreaking essay, and um, we could profitably use this amount of time to read it to you, because it's brief, and if, everyone, no, if not many people have read it, 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 it might be good to just do an audiobook edition. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely should do some bleeding chunks to get you in the mood. Um, but it's, it's, it, one of the weird things is it, it doesn't come in a standard edition, does it? That no, I think, it, I think he wrote it as a, a magazine piece and then um, it was then collected after his death by his friend, uh, the literary critic uh, Edmund Wilson and then uh, and has become, I guess, better known. It's about really his, his uh, nervous breakdown. I mean, it's about, I'd be interested to see actually what everyone thinks specifically because it's in some ways rather imprecise exactly what he's describing in his crack up yeah it's very much i mean to say i'm sure we don't need to recap who f scott fitzgerald was but of course fitzgerald was synonymous with writing about the jazz age and the pre-financial crash america of the 1920s and he wrote this when 1936 right yeah i think so, so he's writing about both his own 
uh, nervous breakdown in his battle with alcoholism, but he's also writing about what it was like to have lived in America in the 1930s after the speakeasies and Charlestoning, <laughs> literal and metaphorical, of the 1920s, I think, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think all the editions uh, include the essays uh, Echoes of the Jazz Age and uh, My Lost City, which are about his early success. And I think one of the, one of the things I would recommend these essays uh, as being great at is they totally take you back to that moment. And so all those images we have, which become uh, a little bit uh, worn out, the Charlestoning and the speakeasies, yeah. Suddenly, you're there vividly with someone who takes you on a night out, you know, in New York, in 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 Prohibition, New York, and we can read a little bit later. But you're it, it's so uh, visceral, it's, it's journalistic, and you're and you're back there, it's right? So, it's so freshly minted, isn't it? That's the thing. I, I, I really struck me. Just uh, I, I'd read it long, long, long time ago, and then rereading it just this this last few days. But it it's that extraordinary ability that great writers have to, to, to make it feel like it was written yesterday. I mean, it's, it's, it's so vivid. And the, like you say, the, it's not got any of the usual... The, none of the clichés in there at all. He, he's just... And it reminds you, again, that the person who wrote... You know, somebody said that, that Great Gatsby was 45,000 words, every one of them in exactly the right place. And it, 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 it's that ability to, to, to do that. Even when you're, you're turning in a piece about your own mental breakdown, there's still the artist in Fitzgerald is, is remarkable enough to, to, to do that without you thinking, come on, mate, you know, cheer up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd forgotten, it happens to contain the, the best, this is the best, I, I used this in, early, in an early QI show, but it's the best sent, my, my whole life philosophy in one sentence, which is, um, I know Jess is going to read some, but this is very quick. Uh, this very quick sentence on the first page of the crack up. Before I go on with this short history, let me make a general observation. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. It's great. It is the paradox within which we all live our lives. I, I, it's just great. You know, two. It's a bit like I think it was. Um, the great Danish physicist Niels Bohr, who said, "The opposite of a tr a small truth is false, but the opposite of a great truth is also true." It's the same basic idea. Basically, life's fucking difficult. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and <laughs> follow that. Yeah, and it's he, he's an epigrammatic writer, right? If you read these, you will find yeah. little jewels studded all the way through. I, I might read just to give people a flavour of the sort of stuff that's in these essays. A little bit from My Lost City, um, which uh, I'll just I'll just go into it, and then you can say what you uh, how you feel about it. But instead, there were speakeasies. The moving from luxurious bars which advertised in the campus publications of Yale and Princeton to the beer gardens where the snarling face of the underworld peered through the German good nature of the entertainment. Then on to strange and even more sinister localities where one was eyed by granite-faced boys and there was nothing left of joviality but only a brutishness that corrupted the new day into which one was presently went out. So I, I, I think, you know, you, all, all, all the sort of clichéd images of that era, I think, are, made, are refreshed, right, by suddenly feeling like what it might be like to go in a taxi cab to you don't know mm. quite where and yeah. get stared down uh, in a bar. Yeah. I think it's probably worth saying, reminding people that Fitzgerald, we think of Fitzgerald now, I mean, we've all heard of F. Scott Fitzgerald and he's widely 
perceived to be one of the greatest authors of the 20th century, and The Great Gatsby is frequently cited as the greatest novel of the 20th century. But when Fitzgerald died in 1940, he was widely considered to have been a failure, who had started well with a novel called This Side of Paradise, which was a bestseller in about 1920, I think I'm right in saying, 21. And then he wrote a novel called The Beautiful and the Damned, which didn't sell as well. And then he wrote a novel in 1925 called The Great Gatsby, which was a terrible failure. Huge flop, wasn't it? And got awful reviews. And then he struggled for nine years to write another novel. That novel was Tender is the Night. That didn't sell. That got terrible reviews. And then he never finished another novel. And he used to supplement his income by writing stories for the Saturday Evening Post in particular, which were widely perceived by his contemporaries to be trash. Uh, Stories like Bernice Bob's Her Hair were thought to be awful, dreadful commercial nonsense. And, um, Which was uh, turned into a song by the Divine Comedy, I It believe. was indeed, yeah. And then when the crack Always up... Always on hand for the tenuous link with <laughs> yeah. you. Actually, that's, that's uh, Gemma's tenuous link. That's not mine, really? I have to admit. Yeah. She's signalling from the back of She's signalling from the back. <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh, we're beginning to see how it works now. <laughs> Gemma does the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Um, she reads the books, makes the jokes. <laughs> but when, but when, so when the crack up is published in 1936, it's perceived as by his contemporaries, such as Ernest Hemingway and John Dos Passos, as both an awful confessional failure by this man who could have been a great writer, and also uh, an embarrassment. Um, There's a a, a letter from Hemingway that Hemingway writes to uh, Fitzgerald's editor, his editor who described uh, the crack-up as Scott's indecent invasion of his own privacy. Uh, And Hemingway said, Scott seems almost to take a pride in the shamelessness of defeat. These Esquire pieces seem to me to be so miserable. There's another one coming. I always knew he couldn't think. (laughs) He never could, but he had a marvellous talent and the thing is to use it. Not wine in public. Ooh. Now, the thing is, first of all, that when The Crack Up was published... I've got another one of those that I'm going to read in a minute, which is genuinely shocking. Um, When The Crack Up was published, uh, first of all, although his contemporaries hated it, the public absolutely loved it. It was the most popular thing that Fitzgerald had written since this side of paradise. Uh, And the second thing to say is that when... um, The crack-up was published in book form five years after Fitzgerald died. Uh, As I said earlier, Fitzgerald, who died a failure by by all contemporary commentators' reckoning, it was the book that began the revival of his fortune and as as one of the great writers of that era. And I think, John and Jesse, what's really interesting about this is that confessional tone is something that wouldn't be sh- shocking at all today, right? No. It's something that's so embedded in modern culture and, and literary culture as well that no-one would bat an eyelid, would they? I, I, but I think... I, no, I think you're right. It's, it's very much to the fore. In all, yeah. But I think it, 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 I think it would have remained shocking right up until 
what's the William Styron book about his depression? Yeah. The Darkness Visible. I think it's not. Yeah. I think it wasn't. People still are wary about writing about these difficult times in their yeah, lives. And you see, Cheever's journals, that kind of thing. I mean, that, that was that. Ah, that. It's the journals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, have you read the journals? No, I haven't. No. Well, you really should. Yeah, okay, okay. With Cheever, it's essential. Um, no, but I mean, I think that that's degree of self-revelation. And as you say, I mean, and just again, the epigrammatic in Fitzgerald, oh, to have been able to write a paragraph this good. Just the, just the command of tone here and the, and the intelligence. Uh, you know, he couldn't think. Listen to this. Life 10 years ago was largely a personal matter. I must hold in balance the sense of the futility of effort and the sense of the necessity to struggle, the conviction of the inevitability of failure and still the determination to, in inverted commas, succeed. And more than these, the contradictions between the dead hand of the past and the high intentions of the future. If I could do this through the common ills, domestic, professional and personal, then the ego would continue as an arrow shot from nothingness to nothingness with such force that only gravity would bring it to earth at last. Now, I reckon <laughs> Philip Larkin read, if that isn't the arrow showers somewhere, you know, becoming rain... Um, and that is the other thing about Fitzgerald, he, his phrase-making and his intelligence. I mean, you can feel that when you read a Richard Ford novel. I think when you, you read... He kind of... He, he, he changed the game. And this essay, in a way, is... Although it's short, is a... I think it's probably shocking now in a, in a different way. It's shocking for us to realise just how unsuccessful he felt his own life to have been and yet how brave he remained to the end and how... I mean, that, it's, it's, that's one of the great things about this piece is that it's, it's kind of deeply admirable. Yeah, I mean, I guess what people um, have sometimes criticised, including Hemingway, is uh, I would think that if people read these essays and we all went away, not everyone would respond totally favourably, right? No. There is... No, no, there, uh, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's self-pity is what um, people would describe. There's a moment that I always thought was rather beautiful uh, when I read it as a young man, which was him being in a taxi cab going through the streets of New York and bawling, he says, because he realised he'd never be so happy again. Oh, and, yeah. And I, <laughs> oh, I think yeah. how you respond to that image is... Oh, well, is that wonderful or, yeah. <laughs> or rather not yeah. so wonderful? Uh, he, I mean, he, he's such an accomplished writer, he's able to, you know, critique himself. And there's a, one of the um, short stories in the, my edition financing Finnegan, which I think is probably a satire on himself, this writer who is constantly promising the great next manuscript and getting advances and going to the North Pole and the, 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 the short stories never quite, um, never quite appear. And uh, uh, his, his, uh, his agent says of, <laughs> says of this fictional uh, Finnegan, Finnegan um, it's all beautiful when you read it, this man said disgustedly, but when you write it down plain... It's like a week in the nut house. <laughs> so, and sometimes there is, especially in the crack well, up, right. there, is, there is a sense that uh, that, that beautiful phrase making, but there's, especially in the crack up, going back to it, I mean, he's an alcoholic. I don't, I don't think he mentions no. alcohol as a problem in the crack up. No, in fact, he, if, he, if he skirts over it and says, I hadn't had a beer for 10 days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a strong right. feeling of it's like, sort of stop bullshitting me. What's, what's really yeah. going on here in amongst all this... Uh, uh, these pearls and epigrams and <laughs> wonderful images and evocations it, of the moment. It also moves brilliantly from a kind of... Because it's written in three stages and was published in three issues of Esquire. And clearly, the first essay 
had a sufficient impact that he was asked then to write the second and then the third. And the third, so it's like three chapters. And the third in particular, Jesse, I don't know what you think about that. That's a kind of, that's, that thing's, he paints it pretty black in the third one, right? Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit that's worth maybe reading out, which is at the, I think it's at the end of that third one. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of his, um, his, 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 this rather phony solution he comes up with for, what, for his breakdown, <laughs> the only way he can really come, go forward is to stop giving anything of himself to anybody around him. And um, he says, and if you were dying of starvation outside my window and I would go out quickly and give you the smile and the voice, if no longer the hand, and stick around till somebody raised a nickel to phone for the ambulance. That is, <laughs> if I thought there would be any copy in it for me. I mean... <laughs> hey, it can't all be book chat. Smoke Chesterfields. I'm just, I'm just going to read a bit of this letter from John Dos Passos, OK? So we've established there's, there's Fitzgerald's pouring his soul out, a poor man, a man in torment, but still, what John says about able to hold, the, the, to hold two ideas in mind at the same time, you know, the idea that you have lost faith in your ability to write and you write that feeling quite brilliantly, and you know it's brilliant you know, and he, uh, but, so, he, so he's published that, and then he gets this letter, another letter from his friend John Dos Passos I won't read all of it, but I'll just I'll give you a flavour Why Scott? You poor, miserable bastard, it was damn handsome of you to write me. Had just heard about your shoulder and was on the edge of writing when I got your letter. Must be damn painful and annoying. Let us know how you are. Katie sends love and condolences. We often talk about you and wish we could get to see you. I've been wanting to see you naturally to argue about your Esquire articles. Christ, man! (laughs) How do you find the time? in the middle of the general conflagration to worry about all that stuff. If you don't want to do stuff on your own, why not get a reporting job somewhere? And then he goes on and he says, uh, We're living in one of the damnedest tragic moments in history, and if you want to go to pieces, I think it's absolutely okay, but I think you ought to write a first-rate novel about it. (laughs) Instead of spilling it in little pieces for Arnold Gingrich at Esquire. And anyway, in pieces or not, I wish I could get an hour's talk with you now and then, Scott. And again, damn sorry about the shoulder. Forgive the locker room pep talk. (laughs) Yours, Doss. (laughs) So they loved him, but they were incredibly frustrated by him. You know, that narrative that I was talking about earlier, that that he had screwed it all up, was something that he bought into, clearly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it comes up again and again in these pieces. What I think, you know, what are the, the themes that come up is there's booze, there's hard work, hard work to, work to the point, point of exhaustion, and this, this continual sense of, uh, of, of having dissipated his life, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it suffuses the whole, thi- the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And, and, and the, the phrases are fine, and anyone who has felt low will recognise sometimes things very, very accurately portrayed. He says, I saw for a long time I had not liked think people and things, but only followed the rickety old pretense of liking. I mean, you get, you get both sides. You get yeah. a wonderful description of it, and then sometimes uh, a feeling of too much so when was the last time when when did you do most of your reading of scott fitzgerald i feel like we all read scott fitzgerald when we're teenagers or too young i think yeah i I reread gatsby recently because my boy was doing it at um a level and uh god 
it's so good. It's so, yeah. It's so... But I was saying to Jesse earlier, I think I read... Like, I think I read um, This Side of Paradise, The Beautiful and the Damned and The Great Gatsby at school. Yeah. And then I don't think I've read any Fitzgerald. I've, I've read more novels by Dan Brown in the last 30 years than I have <laughs> books by F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know, that can't be right, can it? Ow. But one thing that's good, uh, I would recommend, and the other reason I wanted to recommend this collection, is you can go back to the short stories. And I think, yeah. like a lot of people, um, you mentioned how, how they were disregarded at the time, and there definitely is uh, a massive... Uh, quality difference I would say between some of them really do feel dashed off for that next yeah, check yeah, yeah. but some of them like uh, Babylon Revisited which is in my personal collection uh, yeah, it's it is, it is, 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 a, is a heartbreaker and is mm. you know uh, uh, you, you, could, you could read in 10 minutes and gives you it gives you, it gives you a, a, a very strong uh, hit of Fitzgerald uh, no he felt that he had underachieved and that his friends felt that. I mean, do you think when you look back on that body of work that it's, it's, he, it's, he, it's, dis, it's a disappointment? I mean, I, I, well, I, no, it's not a disappointment. I think the thing about Fitzgerald, which I, which I understand more clearly now, is that he was, he was a very autobiographical writer, yeah. and to some extent, he, the crack-up is the logical thing for him to write because he's, he's cannibalised his own life for all those novels. Actually, his short stories are closer to pure fiction. They tend to be imaginative exercises, whereas certainly The Beautiful and the Damned, The Great Gatsby, and especially Tender is the Night, they are all feeding on things. And as we know, in the case of Tender is the Night, his marriage to Zelda, which, which had caused him great heartache. And so you can see when he writes this a couple of years after Tender is the Night, you know, it's that post tender is the night sense of I spent 10 years writing a book it was an artistic and commercial failure I broke down what do I write about I can only keep writing about what I know you know so it's a disappointment it's not disappointment it's artistically consistent I was say one of the essays in the book calls it the crack up self-autopsy and funeral sermon there is a sense in that that writers l would love to write their own obituaries and that he's not quite doing that here but it's, it's kind of it's not it, far off is he, it? he writes a couple of times doesn't he about hoping to hit 50 and what yeah. you know if I, if I can make it to 50 it would have been uh, he doesn't use the phrase a good innings but that we would and, uh, and of course he didn't and it, it's very sad I don't know whether uh, it, obviously when he died he'd gone to Hollywood and was not feeling like he was in a you know uh, fecund creative time I don't think yeah that's right he was writing he, he was in Hollywood for how long he's in Hollywood a long time he's like five six years in Hollywood and he gets one screen credit in that time he writes a, he writes a, um, a, a a rejected draft of the script of Gone with the Wind I found out much to my and the mind boggles at that but I think everyone had a bash at Gone with the Wind <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, but he wrote some funny stories, the Pat Hobby stories, which are about, about the film world, yeah, about about the screenplay. Yeah, um, no, well, are they are they good? Are they worth reading? They're good. There's, uh, yeah, they're what you would hope. They're these little acerbic little portraits of golden age Hollywood. So yeah, they're very, very, uh, very much worth. He reading. liked musicals as well, Fitzgerald, didn't he? he had a kind of a, a yeah. He wrote he wrote he wrote one play. With the which which opened and closed on Broadway very fast with the uh, with the uh, the amazing title the vegetable. <laughs> he decided perhaps that wasn't a rich vein for him to uh, mine any longer. The, you're talking about the Pat Hobby story. We should just read like a couple of just the beginning of the story that's in the crack up. Pat Hobby himself, a patriotic short. It begins like this: Pat Hobby, the writer, 
and the man. <laughs> had his great success in Hollywood during what Irving Cobb refers to as the mosaic swimming pool age, just before the era when they had to have a shinbone of St. Bastian for a clutch lever. Mr. Cobb no doubt exaggerates for when Pat had his pool in those fat days of silent pictures, it was entirely cement, unless you should count the cracks where the water stubbornly sought out its own level through the mud. But it was a pool, <laughs> he assured himself one afternoon more than a decade later. You know, it's, that, it's proper gallows humour, right? Does your edition... <laughs> does your edition have in the, um, the notebooks... <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, I would, and I'm, I'm going to buy your, your edition because uh, he, was so famous, he was famous for uh, going through his rejected stories and getting his secretary to clip out with nail scissors fine, even, you know, sentences, half sentences that he would then reuse. And I, and I think a lot of those are probably in the notebooks. Um, well, there's some great, great one-line... <laughs> Have you got the list of I've, I've, got some, I've got some great one-line novel ideas. <laughs> a tree finding water... Pierces roof and solves a mystery. <laughs> a criminal confesses his crime methods to a reformer who uses them that same night. <laughs> which is good. <laughs> then, slightly worryingly, girl and giraffe. Just, that's all it says. <laughs> Play opens with man run over. Yeah, this is great. There's also, there's a list in from the notebooks of potential titles. Have you got that? I don't think I have. I'll give you a few of them. Journal of a Pointless Life. <laughs> Your Cake. Tall Women. <laughs> um, a title for a bad novel, God's Convict. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you mentioned the autobiographical nature of his uh, famous novels. Were you struck when you read this with how much is recapitulated in here? I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a bit in My Lost City where he gives us a typical moment in his life. When, he, when we first went to New York, I think he was an advertising copywriter and um, not rich, but um, wooing Zelda, who came from a rich southern family, and he'd been turned down, I think, uh, at least once um, because he wasn't going to be rich enough to support her. Um, and uh, he, 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 he writes this about it. As I hovered ghost-like in the plaza red room of a Saturday afternoon or went to lush and liquid garden parties in the East Sixties, or tippled with Princetonians in the Biltmore Bar, I was haunted always by my other life, my drab room in the Bronx, my square foot of the subway, my fixation upon the day's letter from Alabama. Would it come, and what would it say? My shabby suits, my poverty and love. And uh, I think, mm, you know, mm, Nick Carraway yeah, yeah. is, is, is strongly there if you choose to see him, right? I, I'd not previously made a mental link between uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> but, but I can't see it myself. Can you draw, no, it, draw no, it out a little? We're intrigued, Andy. We're intrigued. Let me see if I can make that. He's a character in the thick of it, a sweary uh, spin doctor. But there is a precision about the language in the thick of it, right? And I, I know, I, I feel, with, we, we've said on Batlister before that a lot of comic writing... A lot of writing, what makes it work is rhythm, is how a word lands, right? And that's true when you're writing comedy, isn't it? And certainly, you know, you, there's a real verbal precision in your work with Sam, be it in the thick of it or in Peep Show or whatever. You know, it's finding the right word, the funny word, that's going to nail the sentence and nail the joke down, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely, I'd hope so. And, you know, obviously, I should give credit to... Uh, 
Peter Capaldi, who plays Malcolm Tucker, and it's a semi-improvised show, so some of that is his own brilliance <laughs> in the moment. But we worked hard at the scripts and even the profanities. And, uh, yeah, I think word order in, well, in all things counts a lot, but in comedy it's crucial, and an, an extra word or a misplaced stress can make or ruin a joke. Matthew uh, Clayton asked me earlier uh, not to expand his children's vocabulary of swearing uh, on this podcast. So I can't ask you what your favourite made-up swear is, unfortunately. I might ask you, uh, unless you give me permission, Matthew. I'm not going to do that, Andrew. OK. <laughs> Very wise. I think I already transgressed earlier. So, sorry. Matthew, do you have a tenuous link from uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's oh, The Crack Up? I wondered when you were going to ask. Yeah, so I've got a tenuous link. So at the end of the uh, backlist, we always do a tenuous literary link. And the tenuous link this week is to, um, is to where me and John work, which is Unbound. We did a book uh, called Letters of Note by a guy called Sean Usher that was very successful. And in it, there's a, a, there's a letter by Fitzgerald that he writes to his, uh, to his daughter. When she's 11 years old, she's going away to camp for the first time. And it's a, it's a kind of a bit of advice. And I'm going to give it... I'm going to stand up now, because Kitty Taylor... Kitty Taylor. So she... How old are you, Kitty? She's ten. So she's the nearest person I know in the audience to, to the age that Fitzgerald's daughter was when... Uh, a pie, she was called, when she was eleven. So this is a... And she's going away to camp, so it's, it's kind of similar to Port Elliot, really. <laughs> oh, thanks, Charlie. Thanks, everyone there. Maybe Georgia. You're, Georgia, you're a, little, you're a little bit older than mental age, about eleven. <laughs> Georgia, do you want to come down the front? I'll do it to you. Come on. Come on, Georgia. Come on, Georgia. So I think there's only really one of these things that um, Fitzgerald says that actually is kind of applicable. But I'm going to say it to you now, Georgia. Yeah. So uh, things to worry about. Worry about courage. Worry about cleanliness. <laughs> worry about efficiency. Sorry, not I don't know why <laughs> Worry about horsemanship. Not sure about that one. Things not to worry about. Popular opinion. Don't worry about dolls. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about growing up. Don't worry about anyone getting ahead of you, Georgia. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't worry about triumph. Don't worry about failure unless it comes through your own fault. Your own fault. <laughs> Eek. Uh, don't worry about mosquitoes. Actually, at Port Elliot, worry about mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. That's the one I'd say doesn't really apply here. Uh, don't worry about flies. Don't worry about insects in general. He's clearly got a thing. There's a thing going on there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure it's very good advice. I think it's the finest thing he ever wrote. Okay, yeah. don't worry about parents, don't worry about boys, don't worry about disappointments, don't worry about pleasures. That's it. I don't think that's and very that was, good, that, is that, it? Uh, Georgia, that doubles <laughs> yeah. as your annual appraisal. Yeah, yeah right. thanks, Georgia, yeah. yeah. To Georgia and to Kitty, that's a round of applause. Thank you. Yeah, it's not very good advice, is it? It's like, don't worry about anything. Yeah, is that good advice, from, isn't it? That's that from Scott Fitzgerald, right? Yeah. <laughs> that paragon of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of sensible living. Yeah, exactly. So, my, my, are, you, are you ready to wrap up? I've got one final question yeah, uh, that yeah. I, I want to ask what you, whether, how you would answer this question. Do you think that these essays are analysis or evidence? Because I think that he thinks he's writing this... this thing which is a forensic dissection of his world of, and sometimes of himself but when I come back to it I feel like because of those evasions and uh, yeah those evasions it, it's really it's, it's evidence about something but the analysis is, is only 
a quarter there. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I would agree with that. I, I think the strength of those essays... I read it through twice, the crack-up. Boasting. Boasting, well, true, because it, it like, <laughs> takes 20 minutes, so it's fine. And the footnotes. And the, but what, uh, I fa- what, I fa- what I felt was it's such a brilliant mixture of genuine self-revelation but also framing failure in a way that was palatable to the person writing it, you know? So it's a portrait of bullshit but understandable bullshit, beautifully written. Uh, So the idea that it's purely confessional, that he's just typed out something, seems nonsense to me. It's very brave, but also not without the need to to make sense of something which hurts. I mean, it reminded me of, of, of... Sorry to jump in, but it, uh, you, you know when you read those Hello magazine interviews with a celebrity <laughs> and, they, and, and they're, uh, they're asked, how, how are they doing? And it's always, well, I had a tough last year, but, you know, now the drink, drugs, divorce, everything is over I'm and through. I'm moving on to this next exciting period of my life. And then you read six <laughs> months later that they were in the middle of a heroin addiction, triple That's exactly relationship right. thing. It's all, and it's impossible, really, isn't it, to say, yeah, today you're meeting me and it's the worst day ever. I'm, you know, I'm in the, the slough of despond and I'm going to throw myself in the river. It's always, it's a very human thing to go, yeah, it was, it's been tough, but uh, I'm feeling it's going to be fine, actually. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with that. I think one of the great mysteries is uh, that, that novelists often don't have self-knowledge in the way that we would think that they would have because they're too busy in, in other people's heads and making stuff up and making it work. And when you read this, it's kind of... Although I, I, I do think it's a remarkable piece of work and I think it's, it's, it's in, in lots of ways it's wise, you're right in a way you don't... It, it reads too much like the monologue of a character in an F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. It doesn't really feel... Doesn't, it doesn't really feel, in the end, that he's telling you... You know, there's a, the fictional truth is different from when people are yeah. really being confessional. It's the work, it's the work of... But that's great, because but it's that the is work great. of that's a why writer. We read, that's why novels you know, last and yeah. ge- journalism tends yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. On, on balance yeah. not to. Yeah, I, I do recommend the, uh, the, extended, uh, the extended edition with lots of, uh, lots of extras in the back, <laughs> including essays by people I've never heard of. Um, and, but good, letters from Tom Wolfe and Dos Passos, and, and it's nicely, nicely produced as well, which matters. <laughs> True publishing. We didn't do our blurb, did we? But no, we didn't do a blurb. Really... There's loads we didn't do this time. It's freeform, it's fine. It's great, we're, we're on holiday. We're on it's holiday. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, perhaps I should, um, unless... Uh, Unless uh, anyone has a better idea, shall I wind up? And let these people go about their um, their appointed business. So, thank you, Jesse. Not that, at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Matthew. As ever, uh, thank you to Matt, our producer. Thanks to the stage team here at the Wall Garden at Port Elliot Festival, and thanks to you, the patient, extremely well-read uh, uh, audience. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Have, have a, a great weekend. weekend. Have a lovely time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much. If you prefer to listen to Backlisted without adverts, you can sign up to our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash backlisted. As well as getting the show early, you get a whole two extra episodes of what we call Locklisted, which is Andy, me and Nikki talking about the books, music and films we've enjoyed in the previous fortnight.